0: Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. Father, we just ask this morning that as we open up your word, that you'd speak to us. The things that are remembered or not um, Andrew's words, but they're yours. And Father, as we look at this passage that was written 2,000 years ago to a people in a different land, in a context that's not like our own, we know that it's still timeless truth. We know that the heart of humanity hasn't changed. And Lord, we need to be reminded of your goodness, of your grace, and of the call that you have placed on our lives. So we ask this morning that you would speak by your spirit, that you would challenge us and convict us, Give us hope and peace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. One of the reasons that I love just walking through uh, books of the Bible in their entirety, verse by verse, is we let Scripture interpret Scripture. Not our ideas, not our agendas, but we let God's Word and its timeless truth speak to us. And it's interesting, just yesterday, I saw somebody quote, a passage from our text this morning. And it was, uh, it was on social media, it was on Twitter. And I thought, whoa, this is really interesting. And it was a, the clip was from uh, some sort of um, political uh, meeting that was happening. And uh, the, the woman in the clip uh, was very earnest in sharing a passage from the Bible. And she, she shared the end of this passage that w- we read talking about making our calling and election sure And she said, see, God cares about the people that are watching the elections. (laughs) I thought, oh, my goodness. That has nothing to do with this. And so we're in this bite-sized culture, right, where we, where we, we take little fragments of what somebody says and we, we say, this is who they are. We look back through their social media feeds and we say, oh, when they said this one thing, that's who they are. And In this case, this woman was trying to find biblical evidence for this agen- political agenda she did, and she must have done a quick search for the word election in the Bible and assumed that it was about this, and it's not. So as we walk through scripture, our goal is to let God's word speak for itself. And we have to do that first by wading into the, the context that it was written. right? So this was written 2,000 years ago with a certain people in mind, people in the Middle East. The early church was in mind when this was written. It was written by a guy named Simon Peter, one of Jesus' closest Friends, And when Jesus called Simon Peter, he was a fisherman. And he was a very young fisherman. And some uh, Bible scholars think he was probably a teenager when Jesus called him to walk with him. So if you're a teenager in the room, God sees you. And he has a call and a purpose for your life. So Peter was called uh, out of his occupation to learn from Jesus. And he spent several years doing that. And he became a what's called a disciple of Jesus. That is somebody who learns, who's underneath a teacher. And this teacher happened to be God in the flesh. Pretty cool. Simon Peter would eventually uh, be called to be more than just a disciple, to to be an apostle of Jesus. That apostle means someone who is sent. Uh, Probably the modern-day equivalent of that would be somebody who is a missionary to a, a faraway land or is a church planter to a city that. Uh, they don't maybe currently live in. But one of the defining characteristics of Peter that he uses and so many New Testament writers use is that he is a servant of Jesus. That's how he views the lens of his life is how am I going to serve Jesus? Jesus. While First Peter, the book that precedes this that we walk through as a church, opens with specific names of churches in mind, so it was kind of circulated to, to various churches, this second letter is addressed more broadly. No churches are named. It's broadly addressed to those that share the faith. And there's no expiration date on it. So even though it was written with people in the first century in mind, It's still for us. And this goes really for all of Scripture, this book that has been preserved, the writings of God. So Simon opens up verse 1 and 2, identifying himself. He says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. So it's to everybody that's received the faith. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. In this opening statement, Peter reestablishes, clearly establishes his own identity as a servant and as an apostle. And he addresses the audience, those who have received the faith. And the life he addresses is for those through Jesus that received this faith that we would have grace and peace. So if, you take, if you're a note taker, this letter has two primary themes to it. Things to be reminded of and things to be careful of. Namely, false teaching. So we could say, grow in your faith and guard against false teaching. Grow in your faith is a constant theme in, to many letters of the early church. And guarding against false teaching, well, it's because Surprisingly, or not surprisingly, as soon as the church of Jesus was born and began to spread throughout the Near East and even eastward and westward, other people began to try and get influence within this growing movement. And they began to take the words of Jesus and twist them and take the understanding of the gospel and twist it and to use it for their own benefits and their own gains. And so early on in the church, this is an issue, and it's still an issue today. And so Peter's concerned about that. As he gets older in his faith, he knows his time is coming near. He's not going to be as present present for all of these churches and to be able to help them guard against this. And so he wants to equip them to do that, to grow in their faith and to guard against false teachings. If I were to take the the text that we just read today and to to give kind of an overarching title, I would say the message here would be called Activate Your Faith. Activate your faith. Peter centers his opening on knowing and serving Jesus. And he then quickly launches into a reminder for the brothers and sisters of the faith about the power of God. Just as we sang, great are you, Lord, a moment ago. He says in verse 3, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So we see right from the beginning, Peter wants to remind us that the origin of our faith is a gift. From God, he says, his divine power has given, him who called, he has given. It's all directional from God to you, to me, to us as a church. The origin of our faith is a gift from God. So what does this mean? This is the new life that Christians so often talk about this gift that God has given us, it's not a second chance at a better us. It's an invitation to walk with God. Like if if you were to be given a second chance right now, you're like, hey, all the mistakes that you've made, they're erased. We're going to go back in time, and you get to start over. Many of us would be like, oh, phew, I won't make those same mistakes. But guess what would happen? You'll make new mistakes, you make different mistakes, wash, rinse, repeat. This is why karma is a terrible idea. <laughs> it's not good news because we will continue to make mistakes. So, following Jesus, and when we say you get a new life, it is not a second chance to be a better version of yourself. You would fail, I would fail. What it is, it's an invitation to take in all of your brokenness and all of your sin to be joined together with Christ and to now walk differently. It's an invitation to get back to the original design that God had for humanity. Do you remember in Genesis, it says that God walked with Adam in the cool of the evening. There's that kind of relationship with his creation. And so when we place our faith in Jesus, it is that type of new life that we're talking about a new orientation, a new way of seeing. That's what repentance is. It's not just saying I'm sorry or lashing ourselves for all the bad things we did. It's saying, wow, I'm going to literally have a change of mind in how I live and who God is in my life. So it's God's divine power that made a way for us to experience his divine nature. We don't get his divine nature. We don't become God. But we get to take on the attributes of God as we participate with him and so this is what Peter is talking about before he says anything else in the rest of this letter let's make sure we understand who we're following who we belong to and what we get to participate with this is the new life amen good news right Right. sidebar real quick he mentions in this verse uh Verse 4, he says, Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises. What does that mean? What promises is he talking about? Most likely Peter is talking about the promises of the Old Testament that have been fulfilled in Jesus. And we have to remind ourselves of that too, even though maybe the Old Testament doesn't resonate with you as much. I don't know that anybody in here is Jewish or comes out of a Jewish background. Maybe those don't resonate with you as much, but what they should do for us as believers is go, God kept his word and he will keep his word again. God's promises are true. They were fulfilled in Jesus, but then Jesus made more promises for a time of ultimate fulfillment. And so Peter's reminding us in this church of God's great and precious promises. So our faith is a gift that is given to us by the power of God. That's not a small thing. God's power is immense. And then we are called to participate in. We're called to walk with God. When we place our faith in Jesus, we're invited into a new way of living where the Spirit of God now indwells with us. The Holy Spirit guides, corrects, empowers, enlightens. God with us. But we don't become robots, we don't lose our free will. I'm not possessed by the Spirit like you'd think of some kind of weird horror movie. The Spirit is in me and with me, but there is still a very real struggle with my sin. And that's why so many of the New Testament writings focus on this. They acknowledge the struggle that we have against sin. Paul says, I do what I don't want to do, and what I do want to do, I have a hard time doing. We can all relate to that. So the writings of the New Testament both acknowledge this struggle of our own sinful nature, but then they encourage us to participate in waging war against it. So we're not controlled like robots, but we're not passive either, just sitting and just kind of whatever will be, will be. We're invited to participate that. So what does that mean for our faith? This is really important. Jesus alone saves us from the power of sin and death. And as a response to this grace he has given us, we choose to live holy lives. Jesus did the work. We participate in the transformation. And this is where I think uh, so many American Christians uh, are are content with Sunday morning being the sum total of their faith. And, And if you're grown up in the church, man, maybe this was imparted to you. I'm a Christian, and that means I go to church. I'm a Christian, and that means I pray for my meals. I'm a Christian, I try not to use bad language. We relegate the faith to a transaction that happened at one moment, and maybe it's some cultural influences in the home, and that's the sum total of our faith. And we do a disservice to the sacrifice of Jesus when we don't acknowledge that we need to participate with him in waging war against our sin. There is a way that he's calling us to live. So faith is a gift from God that we, listen up here, we add to it. We add to it. Let me explain. Well, let's Peter explain. How about this? For this very reason, But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. And this is a problem in the church. Unproductive and ineffective Christians, that as soon as they walk out the door on Sunday, they forget who they belong to. They say, we sang, great are you, Lord, but we live as if he's at our level. This is a problem. And so then when we do that, we minimize our sin. Well, Jesus forgave me. What's the big deal? We we become blind to the reality of sin and what Jesus did. He didn't just casually kind of erase the whiteboard of our lives and say, your sin's forgiven. He died for it. He suffered for it. And we're casual about it. So when Peter says to add to your faith, we we might say, well, is my faith enough? Is faith alone enough? I thought that it it is enough. Yes, it is. It is enough. Jesus' work on the cross is enough. It's finished. But how do you know somebody has faith? Because they prayed a prayer in Sunday school? How do you know your faith is real? That it works. Considering verse 4, how do you know you're walking with God and participating in the divine nature? How do you know that? How do you know anything works in life? You do something. You try it. You walk it out. You apply it. You practice it. You reflect the ways of Jesus. Imagine with me for a moment... Uh, this is a cultural reference, it's not in Second Peter. You get a brand new Xbox. Y- you know what this thing can do. Xbox is a video game system, for those of you who don't know. Uh, you know what this thing can do, you know what it's capable of, and so you get this Xbox, you open it up, you connect it to the TV, and it powers up. Bam, this Xbox is lit. It's ready to go. But how do you know it actually works? Well, You got to connect a controller to it. Then you have to buy a game to play on the Xbox. The Xbox has been designed and programmed to respond to the right inputs. And the same is true of your faith. As you walk with God and in his ways, your faith is activated. It's been given to you as a precious gift of God, but it becomes activated when you walk it out, when you live it out. It's really not that complicated, right? (laughs) Yeah, it is complicated. It's challenging. James chapter 2 says, show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. And so for us, giving to what God is doing becomes an act of faith. Loving people that are hard to love becomes an act of faith. There's action involved. Well, here's another example. When you pour in a packet of Kool-Aid to the pitcher, you not only add water, but you supplement it, right? You add some sugar, you add some ice to make it cold. Kool-Aid's good on its own, but without sugar and some ice, I'm going to tell you right now, it's just going to sit there in the pitcher. Nobody's going to touch it. So Peter gives these examples. He says to add to, or another translation says to supplement your faith. And he gives these seven supplemental qualities to help activate your faith. Now, these aren't like stair steps like we think, like goodness leads to these things. These are just seven things that he says, man, these are are things that you can add to your life that will activate your faith. The number seven is often used in the Bible as a sign of completion. So God gives us faith as a gift, but he's calling us to participate in such a way that our faith is activated. These aren't the only attributes of an actri- activated faith. You can look at Galatians 5, 22 for the fruits of the Spirit. But these are attributes that not only reflect the divine nature of God, but connect us to it as well. This is the new way of living. It's amazing to me. Uh, my wife and I were part of overseas missions for, for about four years. We worked with a program called the Discipleship Training School. It was a six-month program through an organization called Youth with a Mission. And young people from all over the world would come to this um, training center on the Big Island of Hawaii. It's been thousands of dollars to get there. And for three months, there would be lectures and Bible training, and small groups. And then for two months, we would go to a different country and share the gospel. And every time we did that, this is the common thing I heard. Why haven't I experienced these things in the church back home? Why have I never thought to share the gospel as I'm doing in China in my own neighborhood? Why does my faith feel so alive right now, even though I've grown up in the church my whole life and heard these things before? Why do they now make sense? And the answer is always the same, because you're doing something. You're stepping outside your comfort zone. You're sacrificing money and time, your life, to do these things. And guess what happens? Your faith becomes alive. And so many of those young people, they went, we'd go back home after this experience, and they would say, I can do that same thing here. And their life, their faith was never the same. Their faith had become activated as they walked out in the mission of God. So let me ask you this, who empowers your spiritual growth? Who empowers your spiritual growth? It's God. It's his Holy Spirit. He is the one who gives you the, the gift of faith. who is responsible for your spiritual growth? who is responsible for your spiritual growth? yeah you Stuart, are responsible for your, not the church, not your parents. you are responsible for your spiritual growth for obeying Jesus for walking out in The role, the call he has for you. My my role as a parent is to empower my children. And empowerment is possible because I have that authority in their life as a parent. Just like God has that role in our lives. I teach my kids. I lead them. I correct them. But they have to listen when I teach. They have to follow when I lead. They have to respond when I correct I can't make my kids do anything. And if you're a parent, when your kid finally realizes that, it's a horrifying moment. <laughs> I remember, I won't name which kid. Wait a second, he realized, "You can't make me do that." And I thought, "Here we are. I can't. I can threaten you, I can what I can do whatever. I, want, I can take things away, but ultimately I cannot make you do that." The same is true with our relationship with God. So is your faith as dry as a packet of Kool-Aid mix this morning? Whenever I feel like my faith is running on empty, there's a good chance it's because I haven't been participating in it. I've been passive. I've been apathetic. And I find my heart looks a lot like what's described in verse 9. Look at verse 9. Nearsighted and blind, forgetting I've been cleansed from my past sins. Later on in this letter, Peter's going to address false teaching. False teaching, which leads to false beliefs, which eventually leads to also a dead faith. But he starts here. Because if your faith in Jesus is dry, it's often because it's not active. So as we consider this and we consider our own lives and we consider our, our corporate lives as a church, we need to remember that this is not just for us as individuals, but it's for all of us. This letter wasn't written to Peter's best friend in high school, but to the church. Yes, to you as an individual, you have to make the decision to grow in your faith. But the best spiritual growth happens in community happens when we sharpen each other, when we bump up against each other, when we offend each other a little bit, and when we say, hey, let's go do this thing for the Lord. Let's walk in this way together. Let's serve the church. Let's reach out to our community. When we activate our faith together, that's when amazing things happen. One of my favorite pastors, Tony Evans, uh, came across a quote that he said uh, just this last week. He says, I hear people say, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And They're absolutely right. Salvation is through faith alone and Christ alone. But you don't have to go home to be married. But stay away long enough and your relationship will be affected. This is true for us. This is not just an us, well, an individual thing, but it is also an us thing. It is a beautiful thing when we're walking together, all desiring to activate our faith. So what about when I fail? What about when I try and I fail? Remember, there's only one with a divine nature. And this side of heaven, we're all going to struggle with our sin. And the question is, how does God respond to us when we do? How many chances do we get? We get an idea from Peter's life, the very one who wrote this to the church. In Luke chapter 22, verse 32, Peter's vowing to Jesus that he's going to be awesome, (laughs) That he's never going to fail. That he's going to be right by his side to the end. And Jesus says, Peter, you actually are going to fail. But I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray. And he says in verse 32, I have prayed for you, Simon Peter, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Wait, 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 did you hear that? I'm going to pray for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Wait, that seems like mixed messages, right? (laughs) Why does Jesus say this? Because Peter will fail. He'll deny that he even knew Jesus three times, but he will turn back and he will strengthen his brothers. And he writes now from a position of that, of having failed miserably in his sin, rejecting Jesus, but then being forgiven again, being called to be an apostle. And so later in his life, having first been a follower of Jesus, then a denier of Jesus, and now a sold-out missionary for Jesus, these words that we've read this morning are to strengthen us, to strengthen the church. I'll close with one last kind of illustration. When I was a kid, we were a big family. Didn't, hardly ever went out to eat because it cost a lot, and we didn't have a lot of money. But I remember I have one memory of the very first time I went to a buffet. And the buffet was called King's Table. Some of you know King's Table. And they had these coupons. I actually found one uh, on the internet this last week that would be in the newspaper and allow a family like ours to go and eat for very cheap. And I remember the first time we walked in the doors. I'd never been to a restaurant like this. I was probably six or seven years old. And my parents said, whatever you want to eat, go for it. And I immediately noticed an ice cream machine all-you-can-eat ice cream? Are you kidding me? The next however long we were there was like a game changer for the rest of my life, right? The question is, where are you at in your faith today? Jesus has he's led you into the buffet. He said, all of this is yours. You can, you can eat of it. You can participate. You just enjoy it. And so many of us, we just walk in the door and we sit down, and it's absurd. It's as absurd as walking into a buffet and not eating. Jesus is inviting us to participate with him. So, where are you at today? Where are you at in your faith? What does your faith look like? Is it apathetic? I just don't care. I'll be there on Sunday. Is it distant? Is it struggling? Be reminded, remember that Jesus has already given you all that you need. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. The food is out. The price has been paid. It's available to you. You Just have to walk in. Jesus has done it all. And number two, I don't have it up there. Number two, Jesus wants you to walk with him. Verse four says, through these he has has given us his very great nature, his very great and precious promises, so that through him you may participate in the divine nature. Jesus has already given you everything you need. Now he just wants you to join with him. Remember these things. Read his word. Ask him to empower you, and I promise you, He's excited to answer that prayer with a big resounding yes, he will. And as you, as we pursue the ways of God together, let's pursue these things with an elevated perspective above the worries, above the challenges, above our anxiety. Let's keep our eyes on God. And as Peter, as Peter ends, he says this, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. In other words, God chose you. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. This is a promise. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the church says, amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that this is not a one-way relationship. (laughs) This isn't something you just aimed in our direction. We passively kind of accepted it and then just continued on with our lives. No, you want to be involved in the intimate details of our lives. When we sin, you're praying for us that we'll turn back so that we can strengthen our brothers and sisters like you did for Peter. When we're apathetic, you're saying, hey, the the buffet is set. Come and participate. When we're feeling weak, you say, I am right with you empowering you. Father, may we believe this. May it move from our head to our heart. May we participate in the divine nature wherever we go. Thank you for this church. Thank you for these people. May we be a people that reflect your goodness. of your love. In Jesus' name we pray.